Hi, it's Julia. I am on a walk to the grocery store. The first time I've been out in three days or so, even if just for a walk, because I've been scared and ultra distancing. And um, sorry, uh, I just held my breath because I passed someone who was two feet away from me. I didn't see them coming. And I don't think that tactic makes a lot of sense, but that's what my body naturally did. Strange. Anyway, I'm just going to the grocery store. Welcome, or welcome back, to The Lonely Hour. It's Julia, and I've missed you. If you have the privilege, you're likely listening to this from home. Maybe you've had a brief outing to the grocery store like I just did, but that's about it. The coronavirus has shut down businesses, schools, movie theaters, and festivals. We are social distancing, a term with which we're now all painfully familiar, in order to slow contagion. Before I get into the bulk of this episode, and it is a bulky one, I want to say that production has been made possible by Kin Euphorics. Kin is a new category of alcohol-free beverages that, as founder Jen Batchelor likes to say, sparks conscious connection through a mixture of herbs, botanicals, and supplements. Kin makes three products, High Road, which is herbaceous and tart and intends to boost serotonin, then a canned, ready-to-drink Kin Spritz, and finally Dream Light, a nightcap containing ingredients meant to relieve stress and wind down the body. Jen is giving us her personal discount code, All Bliss with Jen, for 20% off all online orders right now. Again, use All Bliss with Jen at kinuphorics.com. Normally, on this show, I act as the narrator for other people's stories when I'm needed. And while in one sense now feels like the time to be cautious with words and opinions, I also feel I must lift the curtain, so to speak, and talk with you directly. I launched The Lonely Hour in 2016. That was before former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy first called loneliness an epidemic and before the Cigna, BBC, and Kaiser Loneliness Surveys were published. A bunch of things had been knocking around in my head for a while. There's the decline of social capital that Robert Putnam outlines in Bowling Alone. Layer on top of that the information age and the toxic information in it, which has made us feel angry and powerless. More and more people around me were joining the new economy of freelancers and gig workers. And while there are upsides to the nature of that kind of work, it can also result in a feeling of loneliness and insecurity. The video gamification of dating was making modern romance seem pretty bleak, to be honest. 
And combined with dropping marriage rates and changing attitudes towards long-term monogamous partnership, finding someone was feeling increasingly impossible. We belong to very little today. Union, church, and club memberships have declined, and our arbiters of meaning are changing. Finally, more and more people are living alone than ever before in human history. All of this came together, and I wanted to explore it. Ultimately, I decided that loneliness wasn't something I wanted to put in the problem box. You know, we're often reluctant to talk about loneliness because we're part of a problem-solving oriented culture, and we feel that loneliness can't be fixed. Actually, it's central to the human experience. So my approach has been to talk openly about loneliness, cataloging people's experiences with it in a narrative-driven format, in hopes of destigmatizing it. Maybe that would soften the blow of the feeling, which is an inevitable one, or at least make people feel less alone. I still think the way I make the show has value. In fact, I know it does because you tell me so. But I've wondered if it wouldn't be more useful to focus on chronic loneliness. This is where the real danger lies. The resulting stress breaks us down physically and mentally. It sends us into self-preservation mode, ultimately leading to more isolation. This builds on itself and makes you unable to reach out when you most need to. You don't really need me to break all of that down right now. The research is out there. But according to Kaiser, 22% of adults in the U.S. struggle with loneliness. That's more than the number of adults who have diabetes or who smoke. We shouldn't try to eliminate loneliness because it does actually have merits. Again, the issue is when it becomes chronic. And that's why I'm at least making this episode differently, because the coronavirus is threatening to take some of us there. We're trying to stay healthy by staying apart from one another, and that's the right call. But I worry about the mental health issues that will worsen, what Murti calls the social recession. Habits are hard to break, and right now we're getting into a habit of being alone. This is dangerous for a species that's hardwired for connection. I worry also about the elderly and those living in poverty for whom this is harsher, and about people with substance use disorders for whom isolation is the enemy. The restaurant industry, which it's hard to overstate how important it is to me, is struggling to figure out how to survive. I fear for the safety of Chinese Americans, of Asian people in general. Bigots are blaming them for the coronavirus, which President Trump labeled the Chinese virus. My friend Sung, who was born and raised in Korea, now works for the CDC in Atlanta. Recently, she volunteered to travel to New York and help screen passengers at JFK Airport. I was on my way to deployment to JFK. I was in line to get coffee at the airport, and a random man coughed on me and yelled, virus, virus, while waving his hand away from him. I thought to myself, wow. I am going to be in front lines protecting him and his family, but what is he doing? And of course, I didn't say anything to him because I also don't want to get hurt. So I just got my coffee and walked away. This kind of verbal abuse is unfortunately a tame example of the kinds of racist attacks Asians are facing right now. Fortunately, lots of efforts are being made to help those in need. And this episode is one of the ways I'm trying to do the same. The following episodes in this series will be truer to the DNA of The Lonely Hour, but I can't share them without first taking what we're facing seriously and addressing what some of you have been telling me are your more urgent needs. 
Some of the segments in this episode are meant to help you get through this period of isolation. Some are light and hopefully entertaining, and some will soothe you. So, on we go. Dr. Amelia Aldeo is a psychologist and founder of Together CBT, a New York City-based clinic specializing in group therapy for anxiety, stress, and depression. Part of the reason she believes in group therapy is because it allows people to connect in person. But, of course, we can't connect in person right now. Not with group therapy classmates, not even with friends. When we are near other people, when we're close by, when we are physically touching people, we tend to feel good in many cases. And sometimes that's driven by oxytocin, which is the love hormone in our brain. This is not just in the context of romantic relationships, could be friends, could be other people, and it actually has really good effects on our brain. So that is a bit of a concern in these times. There's really not much of a substitute per se. This is a time to really focus on a lot of activities that bring you pleasure. They could be guilty pleasures. That's totally fine. You know, it might be binging, a dating reality show. It could be baking. It could be exercising. It could be anything, really. But we need to make sure that we're engaging every day in a lot of activities that give us a dopamine rush so that we can counteract some of what we're not getting from the social reinforcements of being physically in the same space as people. Amelia believes the media's focus has been on techniques to fight anxiety, but that we should also look at the other side of the coin. How do we increase positive emotions? One way is to connect with others using the technological tools at our disposal, and that's definitely happening. People are pulling together. They are clinking quarantinis at virtual happy hours using Google Hangouts, or undergraduate students have created a FaceTime dining hall, congregating over meals while scattered across the country. My friend Janelle's husband just emailed me to plan a surprise birthday party for her using Zoom. And it seems the good old phone call is back. All of this is great, but Amelia has two caveats. Make sure that you're talking about things other than COVID. What I did with some of my friends is I started a WhatsApp chat group that is called Only for Laughs. And... We just send funny things and every once in a while somebody misbehaves and sends something that is remotely stressful. So then we actually force them to turn that into some sort of joke. We self-police because we really don't want it to turn into a thread for anxiety-related topics. And then the second caveat is to not overdo it. There's been a flurry of activity and people texting and talking and setting up a lot of virtual hangouts and... I think we're going to be in this new life of social isolation for quite some time. Pacing ourselves, it's really important as well. I'm ashamed to admit that now in my fourth week of being alone in my apartment, I'm becoming a bit neurotic about social media. The normally relatively tame kind of anxiety I can have over interactions or lack of them on Instagram in particular is being exacerbated by my loneliness here. I told Amelia that one friend in particular seems to be actively engaging with other people and yet not with me, and watching it play out has become a painful obsession of mine. Sometimes I'll snap out of it, like, all right, there's an algorithm, maybe he didn't see the post, and we're all busy right now, the volume of communication has been turned up, and it's hard to manage it. But there's still a part of me that thinks, if we're not being purposeful with each other about connecting in this time of crisis, then what are we? 
This is a great time in our life to focus on the people that matter. Maybe begin to spend less mental energy in those people who don't really add much to our lives. Those people who are perhaps a bit toxic. Those people who are ambivalent. Those people who are flaky. Those people who are not always there for us. We're not always showing up. Maybe we cut them a lot of slack in other times, but maybe this is a time to actually focus again on those people who are there for us day in and day out. Romantic partnerships are one concern of Amelia's. Many of those who cohabitate but work separately are now forced to be together all day, and others who are dating and live in their own spaces don't know when they'll be able to see each other next. This brings stress and uncertainty, which brings more stress. I have actually been experiencing something, dare I say it, pleasant. I don't know if it's the world is ending so screw itness of it all or if they're just feeling lonely, but a few people have confessed to me their crushes. That is amazing. Who would have known? It only took a pandemic to find out. There's a shift right now because... The future has become so uncertain and people are really focusing on the present. I think your example is a fantastic one that people, you know, who maybe were waiting for the perfect moment to tell you that they liked you, they're telling you right now because there's nothing like the right now. Which leads us to phone sex. Now that we have this very different new rules of social connection, it's opening up the door for people to try things that maybe they wouldn't have tried before, whether it's sexting or phone sex or video sex or, I don't know, maybe even virtual reality sex. My advice in general for people is to try different sexual experiences and see what that's like. On that note, I asked some friends to comment on their experiences with phone sex or video sex or any form of not in-person sex. I am a big proponent of good old-fashioned audio-only phone sex. It forces each person to vocalize what they want, what they fantasize about what they think about the other person's sexual experience. There's so much that happens when we're with someone in bed that is unspoken. And that's really interesting when you are forced by virtue of being on the phone to talk about it. I think I would be too shy to do it with like a stranger, I mean, not a stranger, like a first time person. That's like kind of vulnerable and awkward, I think. I don't know if I could do it with with somebody that I haven't done that with. I've been talking to someone that I've never actually met in person aside from uh, social media. And I've been attracted to her for a while and we got to talking for about two weeks now after this whole coronavirus started. And we've talked about what we like in bed, we talk about what we don't, we talk about what we would do to each other if we were in the same room at this moment. We're getting to know each other and connect in the hopes that we get to see each other after this is all over and actually get to be physical with each other. I feel that by us sharing all these things, by the time we actually meet each other, it will be very natural because We've talked a lot and, you know, we've masturbated over the phone together. It's funny because I always said I would never do this, but 
I ended up really enjoying it once I opened myself up to this and once I started exploring my body. I've been using the apps in this time to try and find sort of like a willing and game partner that I feel could be a safe space to explore this with, especially because it's a little weirder not having had the physical connection first to try to, to make that happen um, through a digital connection. But I, I'm hopeful. It's been um, confusing. I've been on Field and Tinder, but so far Tinder has just been full of sort of repulsive people who say just the crudest things. You know, at 9 a.m. I'm getting a message from a guy who's like, can I blow a load while you watch me on FaceTime? And I was like, I don't know, let's start with the basics. Like, how's your morning? You know, what are you into? Anything that was sort of treating me like a human and not just like a bot on the other end. So it is a bit of a struggle, but I'm persevering and looking forward to finding the sort of unicorn of phone sex while I'm stuck indoors. The internet is looking kinder right now. Choreographer Ryan Huffington is hosting dance workout sessions on Instagram, where DJs and musicians like Diplo, Biz Marquee, and Questlove have been streaming sets too. People have started calling DJ D-Nice's sets Club Quarantine. Strictly vibes right now. Strictly vibes right now. Strictly vibes. Let's dance. Chefs and food writers are teaching their followers how to cook. TED Conferences has launched TED Connects, a live daily conversation series on its website. I just got an email from the editors at the Washington Post showing a schedule for upcoming live Q&A sessions between their journalists and readers. All of this is free. There's so much going on that Priya Parker, author of The Art of Gathering, who was a guest on our Inner Live series, has launched a newsletter to help people navigate it. When I saw that Ken Euphorix, a brand of alcohol-free beverages, was streaming live entertainment on Instagram, I reached out to founder Jen Batchelor to learn more. And somewhere in the middle of our conversation, without my mentioning it, she offered to support The Lonely Hour in producing this episode. We are so thankful to Ken for that help and for Jen's belief in this show. But back to Tune In Together. Every Wednesday at 7, 6 central, Kin is sharing a variety show of sorts, comedic sing-alongs, virtual dance parties, musical performances, cocktail tutorials, you name it, on the company's Instagram page at Kin Euphorics. We were like, okay, well, what does the world need now? How can we continue to deliver on our values and create a safe haven for people online where they can actually just consume something really light and fun and hopefully inspiring? What's up, guys? Jen of Kin here hosting our first ever inaugural episode of Tune In Together, a new series that we here at Kin have designed just for you in response to the wild times that we're facing as a community right now. 
for me it's both finding a way to stylishly promote non-alc as a way to have a great time without compromising your values or risking your health. And I do fear for folks because there's a lot of content out there right now that can be very triggering, whether it's the news or it's 70 people gathering for a Zoom happy hour and comparing notes about how their vodka tastes. Jen grew up in Saudi Arabia, where prohibition is still the law. Her father, though, was an aircraft mechanic by day and, as she calls it, a desert moonshine distiller by night. And so he was sort of everybody's dealer in that sense, a <laughs> dealer of joy. <laughs> Jen saw how powerful a social ritual like drinking can be, but also how destructive alcohol can be. She wanted to tap into her studies in Vedic psychology and herbology to create something new. How can we then take the perceived benefits of alcohol and try to recreate that for someone who still wants to go out and socialize? We started out four years ago concepting a new ritual. We didn't even know what it was. We didn't know if it was going to be a drink. We didn't know if it was going to be a candy. We just knew that people were ready to elevate their social rituals it's like, okay, now we really care about the ingredients that we're putting in our bodies. Where do they come from? And more importantly, how do they make us feel? To give you the full anthropological deep dive on how we came to the term euphorics to sort of describe the drink itself and also the life and science behind it is the etymology of euphoros, the root word of euphorics, breaks down to mean to bear well within to feel like yourself again, basically. It was coined by physicians in the 1700s where they would sort of mark in their medical notes the moment when their patients went from really feeling sick and unwell to post-treatment, then finally emerging and feeling healthy again. So they were like, oh, patient achieved euphoros. So we're really trying to revisit and honor the original intention of the feeling of euphoros by incorporating ingredients that really do make you feel well in the moment and that help you over time curb the things that make us feel unwell, predominantly stress and anxiety. Our first formulation has rhodiola rosea, which is a fortifying agent. It's a root used in Ayurved that helps with energy and cellular stamina. But are bottles selling right now, I wondered? The crisis from the economic slowdown is most acute for small startup companies. In one sense, we're growing because the benefits are very much hitting. People are realizing that they're still saying my self-care is essential, especially in a moment like this. But on the flip side, we're having to rethink what that means for our IRL business. It's been an interesting both block and tackle and also just show up every day and try to serve the guests as best as we possibly can, albeit virtually. That was musician Shane O'Malley, also known as the Ferdy Main, from the other night's broadcast. Tune in to Tune In Together on Instagram at KinEuphorics every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Now, here's something for those of you who prefer to lose yourself in the pages of a good book. Hi, everyone. My name's Angela Ledgerwood, and I host a books podcast where I talk to amazing writers every week called Lit Up. 
And Julia was kind enough to ask if I'd share some soothing reads with everyone. Even though we can't go physically to other places at the moment, reading is a way that can transport us to other places and it can also soothe us and be a bit of a balm for the soul. It also helps answer some of those existential questions, which I think we're all dealing with now. And it can really remind us that humans have dealt with adversity before. So the first one is one of my very favorites. It's a nonfiction book called Joyful, The Surprising Power of Ordinary Things to Create Extraordinary Happiness. And it's by the industrial designer Ingrid Fattel Lee. I think so often we're told that we have to find inner peace and happiness from within, but she decided to work out what colors, what physical things in our environments can help bring us joy. I could go on and on about this book, so I'm going to shut up now and move to the second one. This book is Man's Search for Meaning. It was written in 1947 by Viktor Frankl, who was a psychotherapist who found himself as a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. It sounds dark and heavy, but somehow you end up feeling utterly positive and it's really about how the perspective we take on any given situation and how we act to ourselves and to those around us will impact how we move forward. I started reading Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte on the weekend and going back to a very specific time and place in England was wonderful and it's a psychological thriller. It's pretty sexy as well. So I think it's a really lovely one for being absorbed in in this time. Two books that I think really complement each other, although they're quite different, are both by Courtney Maugham. The first one that I think will bring a little laughter to your life at the moment is called Touch. For me, it was part rom-com, part exploration into how technology is affecting our interpersonal relationships. Courtney's most recent novel, Costa Alegre, is heavily inspired by the real-life relationship between the heiress, Peggy Guggenheim, and her daughter, Pagine. In Courtney's book, our protagonists are called Leonara Calloway and her daughter is Lara. In the lead up to this war, they have escaped to a Mexican jungle and what they've done is they've brought all these artists, particularly the surrealist artists, this gaggle of strange misfits along with them and they're waiting for this ship to come with all their precious art to pick them up and take them to New York. It's, it's a poignant mother-daughter story. I'll leave it at that. I do want to do a lightning quick round of some more that are just those epic sweeping types of stories that take you to another place. And they are Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan. Then there's City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. The Overstory by Richard Powers and Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. They're also different in their ways, but they're a guaranteed good read. Thanks so much for listening. I hope I haven't rabbited on too much. And I hope some of these books bring a little comfort. Bye.
Find Lit Up at thelitupshow.com. Angela has interviewed two of the authors mentioned here, Ingrid Fettel-Lee and Courtney Maum, and some of my other favorite Lit Up episodes have featured Dolly Alderton talking about love, relationships, and our bodies, and an uplifting chat with Australian author Trent Dalton. Those of you who know me personally or who follow me on Instagram know that philosopher David White is an idol of mine. He graced the show with his thoughts on loneliness and what he calls the conversational nature of reality in our Inner Live series last year. I'm sharing again his recitation of a poem he wrote called The House of Belonging. As he explained recently, it's really about seeing endless horizons within the confines of a very small house. It's also about waking into new possibility, having gone through a dark time. Here is the House of Belonging. I awoke this morning in the gold light. I awoke this morning in the gold light, turning this way and that, thinking, thinking it was one day like any other. I awoke this morning in the gold light, turning this way and that, thinking it was one day like any other. But the veil had gone from my darkened heart, and I thought, it must have been the first easy rhythm with which you breathed yourself to sleep. It must have been the candlelight that filled my room. It must have been the prayer I said, speaking to the otherness of the night. And I thought, this is the good day you could meet your love. This is the good day you could meet your love. This is the grey day someone close to you could die. This is the day you realise how easily the thread is broken between this world and the next. And I found myself sitting up in the quiet pathway of light, the tawny, close-grained cedar burning round me like fire, and all the angels of this housely heaven ascending through the first roof of light the sun had made. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all of the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. This is where I want to love all of the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness, and I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house. I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house. There is no house like the house of belonging. David believes that the coronavirus will be a test and a reordering, not only of our health and our political and financial systems, but also of our mutual compassion and our willingness to work together. Disruptions create societal shifts. Some argue that the birth of the modern state began in response to the plague. Could this, too, result in radical change, but for good? Look, I don't want to romanticize this crisis. It's horrific. Here in New York, the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak, at least at the time of recording, some city hospitals' morgues are at capacity. Refrigerated trucks have been called in to hold bodies. The economic fallout, too, will be devastating. It already has been. We can't yet fully comprehend how profoundly this thing will impact us. But a breakdown is a peculiar opportunity to rebuild in a healthier way. Will this be a wake-up call for world leaders to work together? Might having been through this and seeing how the environment is in some small ways recovering while humans are on pause inspire us to actually respond to the climate emergency? Might we reckon with the overlooked dangers of capitalism and consider a fairer system 
Might we redefine what success means to us, tearing down a society centered around ambition and conquest and building one centered around people? Might we try to reinvent how we live together, binding ourselves to others by social solidarity and commitment? We are designed to be interdependent. What heals human loneliness is feeling that you have a reciprocal relationship, that you're in it with another person. We are certainly in it with each other right now. Might some good come from having shared a common purpose and felt a common urgency? We've been operating within a system that has been making us sick for a while. Those who survive this epidemic will have some decisions to make. Singer-songwriter Nick Cave put it best in his newsletter, The Red Hand Files, which I highly recommend subscribing to. We will need to put ourselves back together again, not only personally, but societally. In time, we will be given the opportunity to either contract around the old version of ourselves and our world, insular, self-interested, and tribalistic, or understand the connectedness and commonality of all humans everywhere. In isolation, we will be presented with our essence of what we are personally and what we are as a society. We will be asked to decide what we want to preserve about our world and ourselves and what we want to discard. Personally, I cannot imagine going back to a life in which I pump out content. I'm going to have to put off my dream of buying a house, but I can focus on seeking deeper meaning through my work. What do you want to focus on? We have some more episodes coming soon, episodes that feel more like The Lonely Hour than this one does. Thank you for allowing me to change format and address what you've told me are your needs right now. Be well, and please, if you are able, if you have one, stay home. This episode was produced by me, Julia Bainbridge, and mixed and sound designed by Keith J. Nelson. Peyton Turner is our illustrator. And special shout out to Carrie Ann Thomas, The Lonely Hour's former production assistant, who offered her help without prompting out of the goodness of her heart and her belief in this project. Now I'm going to leave you with a little bit of DJ D. Nice's recent Instagram live set, which I listened to along with tens of thousands of people, including Doug E. Fresh, Michelle Obama, and Bernie Sanders. Until next time. I don't want nobody else to ever love me.